All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. I'm at the airport yesterday and I walked by those like diabolical places where they make salty pretzels fresh. And then my blind reaction to it used to be like, go eat 750 calories worth of it or like go get a bouquet of cinnamon sticks and shove that down and then hate myself for two days. This man, who used to be controlled by a whiff of a Cinnabon, is ABC News anchor Dan Harris. Now I have a little bit of a buffer where like, oh, okay, that's just a passing impulse. I can let that pass. Today, building a buffer to keep us from knee-jerk freaking out about everything going on around us. Because note to self, we can't slow down this crazy accelerating world, but we can slow down how we react to it. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and here on the podcast last week, we wrapped up the year 2017 by talking to Google's former Zen master, the lovely and soothing Chade Meng Tan. I suddenly knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, which was to create the conditions for world peace in my lifetime. This week, we're kicking off 2018 with a follow-up to that conversation. Because sure, you would like world peace, but maybe your goals for 2018 are a little less lofty. You just want to stay fit and healthy or lose weight or live life to the fullest. I didn't make those up. Those are the top three New Year's resolutions people make, according to Nielsen. And I'm guessing many of us just want to try and make 2018 a little less intense. How do we do this? Well, by preparing ourselves mentally for all this year could bring. Having this daily-ish collision with the voice in your head, that is what we're doing in meditation, is engineering a daily-ish collision with your inner cacophony so that it doesn't own you. Dan Harris's personal story of renewal and how he's trying to make mindfulness palatable for those of us who have promised ourselves we are going to start meditating, but we just haven't gotten around to it. Because, to be honest, I really try not to use that word, mindful. When I talk about how we use technology here on the show, I try to use the word purposeful because I feel like mindfulness has just gone so mainstream it has lost meaning. Many of you have suggested meditation to me online. And now Dan has sealed the deal. I am going to try. If you don't know Dan Harris, he anchors Nightline and Good Morning America on the weekends. And a couple years ago, he put out his first book, 10% Happier, which was a fun read about his own journey from jerk to truly a mensch. Now he has a follow-up book, Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, and it is really practical and useful, as well as funny. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dan. And I'm actually on his podcast this week, too, which is also called 10% Happier. 
If that's how you found our show, welcome. It was a mutual listener of both our shows who suggested that we talk to each other. So thank you, Chris, or should I say, at Suited Yogi on Twitter. It was a great idea. And stick around for the end of the show for an update about what's happening here at Note to Self. And there's also a special treat for you after the credits that I know you will enjoy. Happy New Year, my friends. Can we go back for maybe the few listeners who would not have come up with this idea for us to get together, who aren't familiar with the the sort of origin story of 10% Happier? And can you just tell us how that worked out for you? Yeah, sure. It was, it's really embarrassing, so it's therefore a good story. Uh, I had a panic attack on Good Morning America in 2004. Good Morning America, the monster So I'm in a studio in Times Square, well, there's that glass and case studio that anybody's been in Times Square, you can see the ABC News studio there. And I'm reading the stories off the headline. Again, I've been, I was, you know, in my early 30s, I've been doing, reading off a teleprompter since I was in my 20s. And I just was overtaken with this massive bolt of fear. And my heart started racing, my palms started sweating, my mouth dried up, my lungs seized up. I could not breathe. Providing a big bonus. Researchers report people who take cholesterol-lowering drugs called statins for at least five years may also lower their risk for cancer. But it's too early. To I soldiered through a, like a, maybe a story two or two, but I, ha- I I I was marooned out there, and I had to quit right in the middle and toss it back to the co-anchors of the show, who were Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson. Uh, that does it for news. We're going to go back now to Robin and Charlie. All right. Thanks very much, Dan Harris. At the and news I kind of squeaked out a little back to you. And it was a full-blown panic attack. So that ended up sending me on a weird, windy, twisty road that ultimately led me toward meditation. To the point where you now have written two books on the topic. Yes, but designed to speak to skeptics. The folks who are naturally inclined to meditate, like there are great books out there on meditation, on Buddhism, on Eastern spirituality. But my sense when I started getting into this was... This was many years after the panic attack. And the books are like, they're pretty annoying. And and even the best of them, it feels like there's a pan flute playing in the <laughs> distance, you know, or you're being addressed as grasshopper. Relax. Yes. And um, so I saw a little market opening to talk about it differently. The only innovation is to say, let's talk about this with real raw candor. I mean, I talk a lot about all of my personal failings and... I try to inject some humor to the extent that I can muster that, and I swear a lot. Can, can you just sort of pull out a little bit more about what happened after that panic attack day, that you were like, whoa, something's wrong with my body, or hang on, I I need to, like, did you immediately say, like, you know, I think meditation is, like, how did you figure no, it out? No, no, no. So after I had the panic attack, uh, the, meditation was not the first not the even the 20th thing that came up on the list of things to do. Uh, I ultimately landed in a shrink's office who uh, this shrink was an expert in panic. I didn't even know there was such a thing. The doctor asked me a bunch of questions like to try to figure out what was wrong. And one of the questions he asked was, do you do drugs? And I said, yeah, I do. Uh, I was sheepish about it, but I admitted the truth. And the backstory there is that I had spent a lot of time as a young, ambitious, idealistic reporter in war zones after 9-11 in the years leading up to the panic attack. I had been in uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, many, many times in Iraq, Israel, the West Bank, Gaza, and I had come home from one long 
like six months stint in Iraq where I got depressed. And then I didn't even know I was depressed. And I began very stupidly self-medicating with recreational drugs, including cocaine and ecstasy. Weed was the hardest drug I'd ever done in my life until I was like 32 and depressed and in New York City and having spent a lot of time in war zones. And I started doing coke, which was very stupid. Um, but so, it did so make me feel what, better. What did you, it made you, because it gave you energy because you were yes. so tired? The way my depression was manifesting was not, I was not aware of it, but my body was aware of it. Mm. So I was having trouble getting out of bed. Huh. I felt like I had a low-grade fever all the time. And somebody offered me cocaine, which had happened a million times in my life. And I always said no, because I was, was scared of it. But I don't know why this one night I said yes. And it immediately made me feel better. Uh, it was like a synthetic squirt of the adrenaline that I was getting in war zones that I was jonesing for. I never did it on the air or when I was working. But when the doctor asked me, do you do drugs? And I said, yes. He leaned back in his chair and I, I often make this joke. He gave me this very shrinky look. If you've ever been to a shrink, you know these looks. Um, and you he said, dumbass. Yeah. He, 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 the look said, okay, asshole, mystery solved. You know, and he said, look, I, it doesn't matter that you weren't high on the air. You have artificially raised the level of adrenaline in your brain. And for a guy with a baseline level of anxiety, you've just guaranteed yourself a panic attack. That's what cocaine does for somebody with my brain chemistry. And so you mess with your brain chemistry, you got it. And now the problem is once your brain learns how to panic, it gets really good at panicking. So I had to really, first of all, I had to quit doing drugs, which involved seeing this doctor f for many, many, I still see him. But at the same time, I was also a religion reporter for ABC News, even though I'm an atheist. I had been assigned by my then boss, Peter Jennings, to look at faith and spirituality for ABC News, which I didn't want to do because I wasn't interested in that at all. But it turned out to be this great thing for me where I, I really learned a lot about faith and spirituality. And through that, ended up doing some reporting on sort of new age mystical gurus, including this guy named Eckhart Tolle. Tolle granted us a rare interview to talk about how people can achieve this sort of spiritual awakening or inner calm that he claims to have achieved. Don't you ever get annoyed, irritated, sad, anything negative? No, I, I accept what is. And that's why life has become so simple. Eckhart Tolle is actually on the way benign end of the self-help spectrum. You can make fun of him as I do robustly in my book for being a weirdo. But his primary thesis is that we have a voice in our heads, your inner narrator that chases you out of bed in the morning, is yammering at you all day long, has you constantly wanting stuff or not wanting stuff or judging people or judging yourself or comparing yourself to other people. And when you're unaware of this nonstop conversation, this blah, 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 all the time, you do stupid shit. That's why you eat when you're not hungry or you lose your temper when it's strategically unwise. And here's where we get into your uh, backyard here. You use technology unwisely. You're just constantly checking your email in the middle of a conversation with your kid or whatever. And your arm is moving seemingly of its own volition towards your phone when you're supposed to be listening to your kid tell you about his day or her day. Oh, you're killing me. You just described what I did last night. I, I had a terrible night with my kids last night, and I know why it was, because I did not take the time to clear my head the last two blocks before I got in the door. Mm. And when I don't take that time, when I'm checking my phone as I'm putting the keys in the door, I am just not there mentally for them. You're a human being. The mistake is actually valuable because it's good. your kids are never going to remember last night. You will, and you may change your behavior going forward. And... And this is what it's about. You're going to have to work it out in the laboratory of your own mind. We are unaware of the thinking process, and when we're unaware of it, it owns you. 
And so I read this in Eckhart Tolle's book, and I was like, this is A, totally true, and B, responsible for my panic attack. It's because of the voice in my head that I went off to war zones without thinking about the consequences, came home, got depressed, was insufficiently self-aware to know it, and then blindly self-medicated. And boom, panic attack. So that is what ultimately sent me toward meditation. So I... I didn't think anybody was going to read 10% Happier. I'm like a B-level network news guy who was talking about meditation, which at the time wasn't that cool. Uh, It was 2014 when the book came out. And it turned into... Bestseller. Yeah. And I I then had a bunch of... Like, I had some decisions to make. You know, like, what, what do I do about this? And... And I started getting some interesting calls from people and my friends in the meditation world who were pointing out that, look, you did a good job of telling a fun story that was about meditation, but you aren't doing enough to actually help people do it. When we come back, how Dan figured out what was keeping people, maybe you, from meditating and what he suggests you do about it. It's Note to Self, I'm Anoush Samarodi, and Dan Harris is an ABC News anchor turned meditation evangelist. Since Dan's book, 10% Happier, came out in 2014, mindfulness has gone even more mainstream. But that doesn't mean that people are actually meditating, Dan says. Most people say, oh, I don't have the time, or I just can't clear my mind, or sitting quietly? That's just self-indulgent. He has heard the excuses over and over again. And so Dan decided that he would try to figure out how to solve these meditation conundrums for people by putting together a team of experts to go on the road in a big orange bus that the band Parliament Funkadelic used to tour in. After 11 days and 18 states, we ended up in L.A., where we saw the Pacific Ocean, did a quick chant with the musician Moby, and called it a day. It's a wrap. So we got this bus, and I got this groovy Canadian meditation teacher who I have a kind of a man crush on, a guy named Jeff Warren. Never let them tell you that meditation can't be a competitive sport. <laughs> Who is this really funny, really smart, also happens to be very good looking. Anyway, so Jeff and I and a bunch of crazy people got on this bus and we went across the country. And the goal was to meet people who want to meditate and figure out how we can help them get over the hump. And in the process, to do a thorough classification of all the myths and misconceptions and self-deceptions that stand in the way of people adopting this habit. I call Jeff the meditation MacGyver because he loves honing in on what's your problem and giving you tools to get over the hump. We'll start by, uh, you take an inhale, kind of stretching up the spine, finding this alertness. And then the exhale is the downward motion of just sort of relaxing a little bit, softening the face and the shoulders and hands. One of the things that kept going through my mind while I was reading the book was that um, the bus was sort of like a roving startup in a way. Like you were prototyping ideas that you had of ways to scale this idea of meditation. And 
In fact, what you ended up doing, which seems extremely time inefficient to me, was the people that you would meet, Jeff would actually make them their own personal guided meditation recording. Yes, yes, yes. Which yes. I was like, what? I mean, how is this going to be a business? What we realized over time is that while that may sound super inefficient, there are only a limited number of reasons mm. that people don't meditate. And, and we came up with like eight. And if you make a guided meditation for somebody with one of these, it works for everybody. Mm. And so we were able to really figure out what are the big variables and the big problems. And the advice is universal. You templatized. Yeah. Uh, I'll make an admission. I signed up for your app yesterday, and I did the one-minute meditation mm -hmm. with you in my ears on the subway. It was great because you. You, do, you do speak very plainly in a way that I've never heard before. No pan flute. It was dry. But then today I got an email from one of your coaches who was like, hey, I'm your 10% happier coach. I am not a robot. I am a real person. And I was like, oh, crap. Now there's accountability thrown into this. <laughs> you can ignore it. But we try to do it with an extremely light touch. So when you sign up for the app, you will get one email from your coach saying, I exist. I'm here for you. We really don't push this very hard because we don't want to turn people off. And I think to just I'm being honest, we haven't figured out yet what the best way to deploy this resource is. We haven't quite nailed it. I've just gotten back from my own book tour, and I had a group of Google software engineers who I thought would be taking issue with some of the uh, sort of criticisms I have of the tech industry. But all they wanted to talk to me about after I did my talk at Google was workplace burnout. Huh. And that, to me, I think is one of the sort of unspoken big problems that we've got going on right now, that the constant pinging is driving people bananas. Yep. The problem is big, and we are just starting to reckon with it as a culture. You said when you were on my show uh -huh. that we're basically doing this big science experiment where everybody has these devices yeah. and their attention is fractured and frazzled in all sorts of ways. We don't really know what it's doing to the mind. And we have to figure out a, what are the ethical standards for people designing the products and services that are basically destroying our ability to focus? And what are our responsibilities as users in terms of coming up with healthy relationships to our technology? And this is just a gigantic cultural and societal and health issue mm. for us. I do believe that mindfulness can play a significant role here. It's a difficult process. And so, yes, we met a bunch of people in the course of doing this book. And by the time we got to the end of the book, half of them at least weren't meditating. But that's actually like totally fine because the other half were. Mm. And that is a big hit rate that if you can go in and give people the right messages based on where they are right now, that actually you can adopt this habit. For people who are worried about time, if you say one minute counts— that's a huge gift you've given them. And if they're really worried about time and you say one minute counts, and by the way, do it daily-ish. You don't have to do it every day. It makes it even easier. And then for people who are worried about, like my wife, that it's self-indulgent, if you point out to them something that's just obviously true once it's pointed out, that if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people well, mm -hmm. it becomes like, oh, yeah, that's right. That is absolutely true. And now my wife meditates. People are worried that if they do that, all sorts of tough stuff is going to come up. And you know what? They're not wrong. Like, it might. Mm. Maybe it's even safe to say it will. 
And there are two things to say about that. One is it's better to be seen than unseen because the difficult stuff in your life is there. And if you ignore it, it owns you and makes you do crazy shit elsewhere. The other thing to say is that if you have real trauma, psychological trauma, I would strongly advise that you, if you meditate, that you do it under medical or psychotherapeutic supervision. Hmm. You know, that I look at the events that led up to the panic attack as just a cascade of mindlessness. You describe at the end of the book the, I mean, it's not that long ago, just a few months ago, this point that you got to where, you know, you're trying to be a good dad, trying to be a good husband, you're crashing on this book, you are still, you know, <laughs> anchoring a, a show that goes out at night and then a show that goes out super early in the morning, kind of burning the candle way down on both ends. Yeah. How, how do you, why live like that knowing all you know? And how do you let yourself get to that point? Do you still not have the ability to say, Dan, say no to something? Yeah, no, I'm an idiot. So uh, how did I let myself get into that situation? I made a mistake, you know, like I, I miscalculated. I just didn't understand. I should have. It was obvious that trying to write this book while being a daddy and a husband and uh, and having two shows that I anchor and a startup that I help run and a podcast and all this stuff, the math doesn't work. And my wife was really useful. You know, meditation isn't the only thing here. Another big thing in terms of well-being mm. is having good relationships. And she kind of took me aside. I was like, you are losing it, dude. You need to, like, chill. And so I had to kind of relent and realize that I couldn't get all of this done at once and slow down. And if it meant that the book was going to be late, then so be it. I hear what you're saying, and I'm thinking of all the people that I've met who are kind of doing the same thing. Maybe they're not network anchor people or running a startup, but they're on Facebook as one person, and then they're doing writing their thesis there, and then they've got this side hustle. And also they have a passion for floral arrangements, mm -hmm. and they also want to make sure they're checking in with their mom. Like this idea that we can be in all of these multiple places at once, I do that to myself all the time. I want to pack it in. I feel like I want to wring out all the joy that I can possibly have in this life because it seems super short. Is that all this is? Is it an existential crisis that we are having right now? Well, let's recognize that the the kernel at the heart of what you just described is really wholesome, which is, mm -hmm. you know, I want to make the most out of this life. And we are now blessed slash cursed with a lot of opportunities to do a lot you know in the caveman time you know there were sort of we didn't have netflix uh and we didn't have an opportunity to build a brand on facebook it was much simpler and so yeah i think you're talking about the 70s actually yeah well fair fair <laughs> enough i truly believe that meditation it doesn't solve all of your problems but it can make a huge difference in a human life and moreover not only is it useful on a micro level for individual humans, this changes behavior. Mm. And so on a macro level, the impact in politics, in parenting, in bullying, in journalism, in workplace culture, we're now really uncovering a disgusting epidemic of sexual harassment and assault. All of these things, I think, can be helped, again, not solved, but helped through increased mindfulness. Do you think you could get Donald Trump to meditate? 
he's a 70 year old guy. It's not going to, you know, I don't think a few minutes meditation every day is going to absolutely change everything about him. And I don't know him, but I do think, first of all, it's never too late to start meditating. And I think injecting a little bit more of a buffer between a stimulus, like he might see something on the news that he doesn't like, that being the stimulus, a buffer between the stimulus and your blind reaction to the stimulus mm. is that's what meditation does. It puts a little space in there, but having the self-awareness to know when you're like, jaw is clenched and your stomach is upset and your head is pounding because you're just overdoing it can really help you pull away and stop making yourself miserable or stop yourself from saying something that you later regret. The point of meditation is to sit, to pay attention to one thing at a time, usually it's your breath, and then to notice when you get distracted and start again and again and again. And the moment you notice you've been distracted, which, by the way, is the moment most people think they have failed, is actually the victory. Dan Harris, thank you. you great questions. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Dan Harris's book is Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics. The app is 10% Happier. The podcast is also called 10% Happier. And I am happy to say that I am Dan's guest this week there. So please go check it out. And now a programming note from the Note to Self team. For the next couple months, we are going to be ramping up for our next big project with you. In the past, we have taken on our digital habits, information overload, protecting our online identity, big issues. I can't tell you what the 2018 project will be, but let's just say it's super relevant. And it's going to need some extra attention from me and the team. So that means that for the next couple months, Note to Self will be putting out new episodes, but instead of coming out every Wednesday, they'll be coming out bi-weekly, every other week. If this makes you sad, well, think of it as a way to help you with information overload or dive back into the show archives and relive some of our best moments together or hear them for the first time. And sign up for our newsletter at notetoselfradio.org. We'll be keeping that going every week with links to the best articles that are out there, behind-the-scenes tidbits, and updates on what we've got coming up. It's going to be good stuff, people. For now, I want to wish you a very peaceful and loving 2018, and thank you immensely for listening. After the credits, stick around for a quick one-minute meditation recorded just for us by Dan Harris. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Kat Aaron, Megan Cunane, and Joe Plord. Many thanks to Matt Boynton and Adriana Tapia, too. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Manoush Samarodi, and thank you for listening. So should I close my eyes? Yes. Okay. Eyes closed. Um, hands where? In my lap? Um, so this doesn't count toward the minute, right? Right. So no, no. You can, yeah, you can keep it in your lap. That's cool. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Hi, Manoush. Um, this is only 60 seconds. Three steps. The first step is to sit comfortably. You're already doing that. Close your eyes, although you can keep them open a little if you want. The second step is just to notify. Notice, rather, where are you feeling your breath most prominently? It's in your chest, your belly, your nose. And just bring your full attention there. Just see if you can feel breath coming in and going out. The third step, and you don't have to breathe a special way, just breathe the way you breathe, 
The third step is, and this is the biggie, as soon as you try to do this, your mind's going to go bazonkers. You're going to start thinking about, you know, where do gerbils run wild? What's for lunch? Totally fine. The whole game is just to notice when you become distracted and start again. Back to the breath. So it's in and out. Every time you get distracted, start again. And that's a minute you survived. I needed that. 